If you would this morning, turn with me to the book of Psalms once again as we journey through this first section, Psalms 1 through 41. We pause at Psalm 17. Psalm 17 this morning. As you turn there, I want you to hear these words that have been said in every household in America that has young children. It's not fair. If I could have a dollar, maybe $100 due to inflation, for every time one of my children said, it's not fair, or even better, for the times I've thought that something wasn't fair, or heard adults say that it's not fair, I'd be a rich man, wouldn't I? But how many times... Have I truly been in dire circumstances at the whim of persecutors and in need of rescue in that moment? That's what David is writing from. We don't know the exact circumstances of this. Perhaps it's early in his life and his escape from Saul. Perhaps it's later on. We don't know. But David writes this in a time of particular need as a covenant child of God. Follow along as I read Psalm 17, all 15 verses. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. As we consider the words of this psalm, God's word, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, this is your word, unlike the grass or the flowers that wither and fade, your word shall stand forever. Father, we pray that your word shall fall on believing hearts and hearing ears by the power of your spirit. And I pray that any words spoken that are not consistent with your own might fall away and never be heard from again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm in that time of life where I get things in the mail... And my children get things regarding colleges and universities and scholarships and invitations and all that kind of thing. And Jennifer and I are starting to get things related to the alphabet. Triple A, 
AARP, things like that. I don't think necessarily I'm old enough to get those things sometimes, but I guess I am 50 now. So I guess we're supposed to get those things in the mail. And the jingle that they have when you get that material is, if you just join this particular group, here are the wonderful benefits. Perhaps you get a discount at the local motel that you're going to stay at on vacation, or perhaps you're going to have some other types of benefits as you go across your society. But I have to say, those benefits that they offer, they do pale in comparison to real benefits. The benefits for those who are in need, both in this life and for all eternity. You see, God offers great benefits to those who are in his family because he has adopted us into his family if we have trusted in him. And the benefits he has include this, the ability to call him in time of need. That's what David is doing. David is not doing this uh, just to say, hey, I, I have some ephemeral hope. Maybe God can help me. No, he is doing this from a life of faith in covenant community with God where he has the privilege and the benefit to call upon a God who will hear him. So he is calling for justice. He is calling for God's faithfulness. He is calling for action in the moment. And he has confidence in the righteousness of God. First of all, the first section of this psalm tells us that David is calling out to God. Listen to what he says. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Now, three times he seeks to get the Lord's attention. Now, it, it, we know in essence that God already knew David's plight. And yet in the communication and fellowship that David has with the Father, he is calling the things of his life to God's attention. And he does this, first of all, with a threefold cry to listen. Notice what he says. Hear, attend, give ear. In other words, Lord, please just listen to what I have to say. Now, it's interesting here in this particular translation, it says, hear a just cause. The word here for just is the word we often use for righteousness in the Old Testament. I happen to be of the opinion of this particular passage that the righteousness addresses the Lord. So he is actually saying, hear, O righteous Lord. And I say that in context because we've just read in chapter 14, there is no one righteous, no, not one. In chapter 15, he described what a righteous person would look like who would go to heaven. Chapter 16, last week, we looked particularly at the Lord providing that righteousness and knowing the path of life and all those things. Here in this passage, he's recognizing he is in dire need, but in God's righteousness, he has hope. So he's crying out to the righteous father who will listen to him. And he uses, of course, that term for God, that covenant term. It's in your Bibles, capital L-O-R-D, the name Yahweh or Jehovah. His call is to the God who has a special relationship with him by the covenant of grace. And there's a twofold, then, statement of confidence in his justice. 
He says, let my vindication come, let your eyes behold the right alternative translation would be using the future tense or imperfect tense here. You will do this. You will behold what is just. From your face, my justice will march out. Your eyes will see the things being straight. David is saying, I know you, I know your history, I know the opportunity I have to talk to a Lord who puts things right. Maybe not necessarily in the timing that we want, but in his timing he will bring justice to his people. And then it's kind of puzzling, as we, we've already said there's no righteous person, David begins to explain how he is basically a righteous man. In the next few verses. Of course this is a reminder. He's speaking here not saying Lord I've earned my salvation. He's speaking from somebody who is already in covenant with God. God has already called him to faith. God has already reminded him of the promises to come. And he says this from this aspect of being cleansed by the future. In his case the future blood of Christ. He says basically Lord you know me. You've tried my heart, you've visited me by night, you've tested me, and you will find nothing. Basically saying to God, you have looked at me, you've tested me, you've taken me away from the daily activities of life and taken me in the time when I'm most vulnerable, when I'm alone and my thoughts are are my own, and you've seen those things in the night. And here he says... You have tested me. This word tested is the word refined like we would do with uh, some precious metal or something like that. He says, you have have tested me in this sense. You have uh, done this process of a saying in essence. And he says, you will find nothing. Now again, I'm not saying that we're going to find people in our own church who can say to God, okay, I'm a perfect person. Lord, you have to help me. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, Lord, you know everything about me. And you know that in this particular situation, I am being persecuted unjustly. And therefore, I'm crying out to you for justice. In other words, in this circumstance, he is innocent and his oppressors are unjustly persecuting him. And he goes on to say this, in this particular situation... I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man by the word of your lips. I have avoided the ways of the violent. He is a claim of veracity. He's telling the truth here. He's laying before God a real truthful situation. He's not trying to hide from God that he has mixed motives in asking for help. He says this is really the case, the situation. Then he says, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Slipped. He's saying, my steps have been loyal to you in this situation. Lord, I'm crying out to you from a true need, not from one I have made up or I just want to get gains. The call for justice is a call from someone, though not perfect, yet by God's grace is able to truly give him a claim for justice. You see, I think in scripture when we look at those who are crying out to God from vulnerability and from situations of despair or distress, we could name countless individuals, could we not, 
We could list King Hezekiah lying on his bed, ill, waiting for God perhaps to heal him if it be his grace. We could look for those in the New Testament who were coming to Jesus for healing or from deliverance from the enemy, uh, particularly from demons or from other individuals. We could look at people like Elijah, even Elijah, the, the, the depressed prophet who lays down in agony and says, basically, Lord, I'm the only one left. And God says, well, that's not exactly true. Get up and do your work. You see, we cry out based on the relationship we have with God, not our own righteousness. David is crying out, not saying, I'm a righteous person and you have to help me. He's crying out saying, God, you know who I am and you know my needs. And because you are a righteous God, I know you will help me. Therefore, verse 8, again, this call. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. This is a call for faithfulness. The God who has said, I will be with you, I will never let you go. The God who has claimed the people Israel and David now being the leader of Israel. The God who has claimed to David, I will place someone on your throne who will reign forever. And he says throughout the Old Testament, despite their foibles, despite their falling away from him time and time again, he says, I will not forget you. And so David calls out to him because he knows God will answer. So he calls out for God's faithfulness, first of all, in responding to prayer. I have to say, if you're like me, I'm not one. I I don't keep a big list of all the answers that God has given me for prayer. Some people do that, and that's commendable. I, I personally don't do that. So there are times when I forget how God has answered. And there are times when I pray and I think, how has God answered this prayer? I remember one time uh, praying in my first church back in Tennessee many years ago now. I remember that we were praying for a young family to come to church. We didn't have a lot of young people in our church. And so I prayed, and my wife prayed for that young family to come to church. And we prayed. It seemed like we prayed for a few years for that to take place. And lo and behold, suddenly we realized God had already answered that prayer. He had brought some young families to church but we weren't, they weren't the, the perfect family that we were expecting God to bring. He was causing some of our members to have children. He was also bringing different kinds of people to our church. And so he answered that prayer. God will answer. It may not be yes, it might be no. Sometimes it might be wait. And sometimes it might be, I'm not going to answer that now, even in your lifetime. But David's faith is such in the confidence he has in God that God will respond to prayer and scripture tells us for those who pray in faith connected by the covenant to God God will answer and then he says this perhaps my favorite verse in this whole psalm wondrously show your steadfast love O savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand David is seeking God's faithfulness in expressing his covenant faithfulness. That's that word, steadfast love. We sang about it earlier. Steadfast love, again, that Hebrew word, again, you can say, Pastor, you say this every other week, is that Hebrew word, chesed, which means 
covenant faithfulness, mercy, steadfast love, God's loyalty to his people. And David is calling out for God to marvelously or wondrously express that faithfulness. Do you ask God to do that? God, will you in a wonderful, marvelous way express your love, your steadfast love and loyalty to your people? That's what David is asking. But he asks it in a very interesting way. This section that says, wondrously show, is a strange verb that basically says to treat differently. In other words, David in his position of being one of God's people is asking God to treat David differently than he would treat the world. Now, on one hand, you think, well, that's not fair. That's favoritism. But the problem with that idea that David is saying, well, that's favoritism, is that's the only hope we have in God. We don't earn his help. We don't deserve his help. We're sinners. And when we sin, we're rebelling against the holy God. And so when we're asking for God to help us, we're asking for him to treat us differently based on the relationship he has with us in Christ. So we're asking for a distinction, not based on our background, not based on our heritage, not based on the faith of our parents, based on the relationship we have with the blood of Christ on the cross. And so we're asking God to treat us differently by showing his marvelous, steadfast love to us as a savior to those who seek refuge. In other words, God, or David, is reminding God, first of all, of this marvelous relationship he has with him through the covenant, but then also reminding him of the salvation that he offers his people. So here it is, this call for faithfulness is a call based on God's relationship with him already. And then this faithfulness is in providing protection, in this case, from David's enemies. So here is the famous phrase, keep me as the apple of your eye. Now, of course, we could go into all the literal senses of what the Hebrew means and all that kind of stuff. But I think, really, we could go back to Deuteronomy 32 and look at Moses' song of deliverance and salvation. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 and 11, he uses both these phrases, the apple of your eye and the shadow, or the, the wings. I guess he doesn't use the term shadow, but the wings of God. And here he says, basically, because of the relationship he has with him, David can trust that God, because he loves him, and he considers all Israel, his people, the apple of his eye. Now, of course, you know what the apple of your eye is. That's when, uh, uh, you know, the, the father has one daughter. And as he goes about his life with that one daughter, she's the favorite. She's the one who gets all the privileges. And whenever that daughter is around, the father has an extra twinkle in his eye. Isn't that true? He wants the best for her. He will protect her. He will do anything for her. And probably because he's a sinful human being, he'll also do things he shouldn't do on her behalf. But here God has described Israel as the apple of his eye. 
And so David plays on that term and he says, keep me that way. Keep me that way in the way that you protect me from my enemies. And then, of course, the other phrase here, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, does God have wings? Uh, this, this is obviously a, a literature idea. You know, it's, it's one of those uh, similes or likenesses or something like that. And he says, God is like someone who has wings, like a bird that protects their young. And so here it is. David says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. So here we are, thinking of God in this way. Now, last Sunday night, I had the privilege of seeing someone I hadn't seen for a while. She's moved off away, but she was visiting back in this area. Her name is Lavelia, and perhaps you know uh, Lavelia. But, but here, about three or four years ago, I was reminded that uh, she had found in her neighborhood at that time uh, that a dog or some animal had killed this mother duck, and there were these eggs there. And perhaps you all might remember that we're here at that time. Uh, We took those eggs in our house, and she found an incubator for us. And we had those eggs, and and we we had the incubator, and we got to the very end of the time where they were supposed to hatch. If we were doing everything right, we're about ready to throw the eggs out, and lo and behold, they hatched. And I thought of those ducks, those ducks that create chaos in a house. You know, it's kind of interesting. I've never experienced uh, birds in the house before, but, you know, they, 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 they're like birds. They don't quack like ducks. You know, when they're, they're little ones, they sound like birds chirping. And, and they, they walk around and they do stuff, and we took them outside a few times, and they'd walk around, follow you around, all that stuff. And, and I thought they only existed because we protected them. And we weren't good mothers, you know, we couldn't be there 24 hours a day. In fact, one time, uh, one, one day, they accidentally got left outside, and they're all hiding behind our shed when we came back uh, from, from the trip. Thankfully, they hadn't been killed by anything, but, but we took a while for us to find them. But I thought, what is the, the relationship of that mother to the birds? Love. Discipline. You know, I think of someone who has parents that really care about them. On the one hand, we think of them as being those who love them indiscriminately. But we also think of those who who are hard on them sometimes and discipline them. And then I think of those times when there are attacks from outside. And and even if there's a situation where there's, there's someone who says something true about their child, if the mother feels like that they're attacking that child, what does the mother do? Mother bear. They're protecting their child. This is what David says God does for his people. He loves them. He welcomes their return. He seeks to follow them. He will discipline them at times. Of course, all the calls to come away from your evil return to him. We've seen that in our worship service. But then there's also this this mother bear who protects the children. God even says in scriptures, though a mother will forget her children, God will not forget his people. So David is crying out to him, saying, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings, knowing that this Savior who will protect him from his enemies is committed to his people, and because David has been adopted into the family of God, he's better than even mother hens and mother bears. Verse 
And so David says, just act. Please, just act in this circumstance in my life. He describes his enemies. They close their hearts to pity. When their mouths, they, with their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have surrounded our steps, set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He's like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. This is a description of the enemy. First of all, they're rebellious. When it says they close their hearts to pity, very strange Hebrew has to do with fat, closing the fat and all that stuff. There's all kinds of debate over exactly what it means, but I think what it in heart is saying is they are taking great joy in their rebellion against God. And as they do that, they're arrogant and they're proud. And I have to say, we live in a society now where the wicked are arrogant and proud. And it's not just in their own hearts or in their own families, but now they display it for all society to see, don't they? And here it is. These enemies are rebellious, arrogant. They're also vicious. If you're like a lion, you're ready to tear somebody apart. And if you're like that young lion, you're lurking. That is, you're just waiting for the opportunity to tear somebody apart, aren't you? You're just waiting for the opportunity to destroy somebody else. This is really a job description for a journalist today. Waiting to tear somebody apart. A job description for social media. You're waiting to tear somebody to pieces so that they can be canceled. Here it is. They're arrogant. They're lurking. But here is the Lord's vindication. David says in his covenant relationship with the God who loves him, Arise. Arise, confront him, subdue him. In other words, David is basically saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't give myself justice. I can't stand up to this for whatever reason. Maybe he's not up to the task. Maybe he doesn't have the strength to do it. Maybe he's all alone and the enemy surrounding him is overwhelming. He says, you, Lord, can do it when I cannot. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. He's calling for confrontation and for the sword. And the rescue here is from an interesting individual. It says, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, they leave their abundance, their infants. What is he talking about? What kind of enemy is this? This is the man, like the steward, in the story that was told in Luke 16 that Bob read this morning. This is the guy who says, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm being fired for my dishonesty. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of the bills that people owe and I'm going to give them a discount so that when I am fired, then they're going to say, hey, come into our house. You've been kind to us. And Jesus says about that, po- that person, all you wicked people out there, particularly the Pharisees who are listening, you who love money, you who love the things of this world and are not looking for the eternal... Why don't you just find your eternity and all your buddies that you've gotten discounts for? This is the temporal man. The guy who doesn't care about the life to come. The guy who doesn't care about how he treats other people because he's interested in the stuff that he's getting, in the benefits, the power, the influence, whatever it is that is their God, the things that they want in society, and they'll climb on the back of everybody else to get it. And David says, this is the individual you can deliver me from. 
the ruthless dictators, the oligarchs, the politicians, the bosses, whatever you think they might be, those that only think in terms of earthly gains and their own legacy, but the people of the covenant, what do they do? They have a relationship with the God who, yes, he can deliver them in these circumstances, and he may or he may not according to his purpose and his will, but we know that the heart of all of this song rests on the last verse. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. You see, he has confidence not in himself, not in his goodness, not even in the relationship that he claims with God. He has confidence in the righteousness of God. He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Again, righteousness at the beginning, I think, applied to the Lord. Here again, righteousness at the end applied to the presence of God. You see, without righteousness, you cannot go to heaven. The only way you can get righteousness is by trusting in Jesus Christ so that your sins are placed on Jesus and his righteousness is given to you. So when it says, David says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, he's looking forward to the righteousness given to him through faith in the Messiah that was to come, the Jesus, Jesus the Christ. And then he says, when I awake, after I see the Lord's face, what a privilege. We sinners... We can't see the Lord's face. God cannot look on evil. But in Christ, our evil and wickedness is washed away so that we can see God in all his glory when we get to heaven. And then he says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. You see, we awakened the Lord's likeness. Now, what is he talking about here? Does that mean David's falling asleep at night? This is when God is testing him, so forth and so on. You know, it might be a minority view among commentators, but I think what he's talking about is the resurrection. When I awaken, you see, there is a euphemism from, you know, time immemorial, the euphemism that death is, we describe it as he has fallen asleep. You see it particularly in the New Testament. Here he he says, when I awake, in other words, when I awake, not just in the morning in that moment God may have rescued him from his enemies, and maybe he did. We don't know the circumstances. But I think what David is saying here, in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the Messiah who is to come, I shall awake and be satisfied with your likeness. Now what does that mean? Satisfied with Jesus? Or does that mean satisfied that he is being conformed to the likeness of Christ himself. I don't know. Both are wonderful. They're wonderful. This is the man of faith. In his circumstances, he knows who he can turn to. He may not know the answer during the time that he wants, but he knows God will in the end bring justice. God's enemies will get the vindication that God brings to them. And in the end, God's people will see him and be with him. And that idea of the apple of your eye, what a wonder. You see, we live in a society where there are constant calls for justice, aren't there? Now, we don't have time to go over the definitions of justice, what's true justice, what's God's justice, all those different things. We could spend several hours talking about these things. We could spend hours reviewing the different ideas for what just solutions for unjust times look like. 
but the Bible presents the true solution for those truly seeking justice. The solution is in God's righteousness and God's salvation. In times of oppression and unfairness and life's foibles, our hope is not in a law. Our hope is not in a movement or a philosophy. Our hope is not in the outcome of this life. Our hope is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ in the transforming power of the Spirit to remove the sin from us and to give us the righteousness of Christ that we might be made like him. Where is your hope? Is your hope in the things of this world? Is your hope in the the vindication that God might give you in the here and now? Or is your hope in the eternal judgment of a God who loves his people and by his grace will treat them as the apple of his eye. Let's pray. Lord, keep us as the apple of your eye. May the shadow of your wings protect us. Lord, may we look past and beyond all the things of this world to place our hopes and confidences in the return of Jesus and the vindication of all things. Lord, as we go through the difficulties of life now, let us place our hope in you and not the things of this world. We do pray for relief. We pray for justice. We pray for these things in your time and your purpose by your will.